summer, (laughs) y'all. It is hot outside. I love it, but I also don't love it because I don't like dripping sweat like in public. I don't know. And I'm also very cheap in country, so I refuse to turn on my air conditioning and my cat just keeps flopping all over the place. Like, please put on the air, mom. And I'm like, no, you are okay. You used to live outside. You're fine. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we're going to make it. I hope that now that it's it's hot, people are getting out and getting some sun, uh, even if you're just like stepping outside on your porch or on your stoop or wherever. I definitely need more sun in my life. You know, I've been making some playlists for our listeners who have been pledging $10 or more each month. And I hope that y'all have been enjoying them as much as I've enjoyed making them. I love making playlists. It's part of my love language, even though I'm only speaking it to myself these days. But, you know, that's fine. It's okay. It's not really fine. You know, like somebody slide in my DMs. It would be awesome. But, you know, it's okay. But if you like me to woo you with carefully selected songs that are like my favorites, why don't you go ahead and join the Patreon? That's patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. It's beautiful. It's worth it. It's going to be fantastic. Now, today's episode isn't so much about the art of seduction through playlists as it is about stepping on your back in my stilettos. I'm kidding because I actually don't own any stilettos. I'm afraid I'm going to fall over. But (laughs) a couple of episodes ago, I spoke with Lena Dune, the woman who runs Ask a Sub, and she hopes to shed light on the different aspects of being submissive in a BDSM relationship. Today, I'm talking with Venus Cuffs, a Dom and BDSM consultant, to learn more about the dominant side of the coin. As many of you know, I've dabbled a bit at being a Dom, and it took a lot of research, a lot of research and care to figure out what worked for me. Our expert Venus Cuffs knows what it's like to tap into a more aggressive and assertive side of yourself, but she also knows that it can be a challenge to unlearn societal expectations and to combat stereotypes when trying to find your place in the lifestyle. It was very difficult for me to like look past a lot of what I thought was explicitly racist stuff in Dom culture and trying to figure out how I could be the best Dom for myself and for the people that I chose to dominate. Venus and I do head into some deep waters at one point as she explains the structures of dominance and how cultural biases replicate themselves in our sexual fantasies. But we do make it out on the other side with some things that we hope you think more about. So let's get into my conversation with Venus and remember, wear your headphones. This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Shopping for clothes can be daunting. You never know if things will fit, if the returns will be difficult, and you don't even know what store to start with. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love to wear. It was really easy to complete the profile of what I'm looking for and what I don't want. I'm actually wearing an outfit from my stylist right now, and it's super cute. I love it to pieces. The best part is there's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward the pieces that you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever, which is awesome. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash thisisgood and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. 
That's stitchfix.com slash this is good for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash this is good. This episode is also sponsored by Skillshare. They have so many fascinating classes on Skillshare on topics including illustration, design, photography, animation, productivity, and more. One class I've been looking at is Cookie Decorating for Beginners with Lori Shannon. At some point, I should be able to do some basic cookie decorating, and this is the time to get better at it. Skillshare helps you move your creative journey forward without putting your life on hold. Their short classes are a perfect fit for your busy routine. You'll create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives so you can accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash This Is Good, where our listeners will get a free trial of premium membership. That's two weeks free at Skillshare.com slash This Is Good. My name is Venus Cuffs. I am a dominant nightlife promoter and nightlife personality. I'm also a BDSM educator. I formerly was a dominatrix for over a decade, and I am still a lifestyle dom today. And what do you mean by nighttime performer? So I'm a producer, so I put together a lot of shows. I hire burlesque performers. I hire king performers putting together shows all about sex, sexuality, and exploring it as an art form rather than something that's taboo and dirty. I just like to dive into it, make it artistic, make it beautiful, put it on a stage and let people kind of see all these different sides of what sex is. And you said you were a dominatrix for 10 years. How did you get started in that? When did you realize that the feelings that you had were of a dominant personality for this? They've kind of always been there. So like dating as a teenager, figuring out what I liked as a teenager, um, making out in staircases in high school. I started realizing that I wasn't someone that wanted to wait for the boys to approach me or (laughs) even figuring out my queerness. Like I didn't want you know, a woman or a guy to like approach me. I would, I didn't want to be soft and dainty and just let someone else lead. I wanted to lead. I would make out with people and I don't know, I would want to grab their necks and, and, and kind of like grab their face toward me. I would want to sit on them and, and take control. And so those kind of urges, I've started realizing I had them since I was a teenager. It was about putting words or terminology to like what I was already feeling, but it's always been there. And when you would see as a teenager and representations of doms on screen, like on television and film or where have you, could you relate to that? Was it something that intrigued you? Or did you realize this is not exactly what I wanted, but maybe there's something else out there? Well, the first thing is that I didn't really see too much representation aside from like, regular vanilla movies where like black women were depicted in a dominant role. And if they were depicted in a dominant role, like from a sitcom or a movie or something like that, it was usually because they were bitchy or snobby. 
they were so engrossed in their work that they couldn't find a man, you know? So I never really saw, in my opinion, a positive dominant woman. So I kind of had to reimagine that and kind of figure out what it meant for me. And also like take hints from some of the dominants that came before me that were Black women. I watch a lot of detective shows and police procedurals and, you know, different thrillers and things like that. And anytime there was a woman who was dominant or they would have to go into a, a sex dungeon, she was always played for laughs or played up to be punished or killed or something like that. So there was always this moment where she received her comeuppance in some way. Like what you said, there was never, I never saw really a positive portrayal of a dominant woman, at least not in a, um, in a sexually dominant way. She was always, I don't know, punished somehow at the end of everything or, you know, and the men who went to these women were, you know, made fun of in some way or were also killed or punished in some way. So it it wasn't something that gave me a positive experience, you know, just like kind of like looking at that. But in the same way, like what you were talking about, I also was kind of aggressive as a teen and just I wanted to skip over all the flirting and just get to like the good stuff. Like we both know why we're here. Let's just get to it. But I had to, you know, I was told that I had to be soft and wait for the guy to make the move or, you know, just kind of pretend like I didn't want it as much as he did. And how did you get to a point where you, you just said, fuck all that. This is what it is. And I'm okay with this. When it started to work for me, every time I did it, (laughs) (laughs) I would just start approaching people I was interested in. I was always hearing, from even from men in my family, you know, no real man wants to be approached by a woman. These are things I was like taught. And at some point I was like, why am I sitting here waiting for this aloof person to notice that I'm standing here when I can literally just walk over to them and let them know that I'm here and very much interested and see where it goes. And I started to do that. That started to be it like literally how I dated people and I would approach people and they would, I always found it interesting because when I approached women, it was like, oh, that's sexy. That's hot. But when I approached men, it was always like, wow, you're brave. (laughs) You're brave for coming up to me and like even saying anything. And believe it or not, a lot of them like that. Um, A lot of them were dominant themselves and they kind of like that. It kind of made them want to chase me more, which was weird. But knowing that like I had that kind of energy They just wanted to match me or outdo me. So they saw me as a challenge, which was interesting. So it just ended up working. So I just kept doing that. And I kind of kept building on that. What does that dominance mean for me? What does me having agency over my own body and being able to dictate and center my own pleasure, what does that look like for me? And so I just started to literally build on that with every single encounter that I had. I became more confident. I became more aware. And I was happy with it. And what kind of uh, resources and research did you use once you started to bring this into your professional life? Once you started to become a dominatrix on a professional level, how did you find mentorship? Well, I worked in a dungeon in Los Angeles, and a lot of the mentorship that I received were from white women and Asian women. And that was just because most of the people that worked in the dungeon were white and Asian. And I was literally the only Black person that worked in that dungeon at the time. And so they taught me a lot. 
you know, they taught me as much as they could about what it meant to be a woman and channel my dominance as a woman. But as far as being a black woman specifically, I had to figure that out on my own until I found other black doms, which is when, you know, I was in dungeons in New York and, you know, was meeting other really powerful black dominants. And that's when I found community really in New York. But before that, when I was in LA, I could be mentored, you know, as far as like being a woman. But when it came to being a black woman and what does dominance for me, right? And and the reason why I'm drilling this in right now is because in BDSM kink, any kind of like sex positive lifestyle, right? Like you have to be super aware, hyper aware of real world power dynamics when you play. There's no way around it. So like there are people that think that because I'm, you know, a dom or I was a dominatrix or I'm some kind of big, bad, powerful BDSM player that somehow racism doesn't apply in my situations or my play or things like that, that now I don't have to look out for these things because I'm so powerful in this bubble of BDSM. And it's the complete opposite. I have to be hyper aware of what these power structures look like outside because some people will just take these power structures that exist out in the world and try to apply that to our dynamics, to our play. And so being a Black woman, being a Black dominatrix, I would get requests to pretend that I was people's like mammy, if you want me to be honest. Like I would get requests for sessions where my race was always being brought up. I mean, constantly. It was like, I want a ebony goddess or I want a black waitress or I want some black cleaner of my pretend house to bend me over and spank me with a broomstick. So they would take real life examples and create a fantasy around it. And then they wanted me to kind of like join in on it as long as I'm getting paid and think, oh, well, everything's okay. Some of the more extreme session requests that I've gotten that I had to reject I don't even want to say it because it was so extremely racist. But in their eyes, it wasn't racist because it's a fantasy. And we see that mimicked in porn. We see this mimicked when people are even on dating sites like Tinder. They'll say like looking for an ebony chocolate mocha goddess. And it's like, damn, why can't I just be like someone you're looking for? Yes. It was always a part of it. Yes. That was my experience when I first started to kind of dabble and, and you know, try to see if this was something that I could incorporate into my life fully. I got a lot of, I've never had an ebony girl before. I've never been with the Black woman before. Is it true what they say? Once you go Black, you never go back. You know, all this kind of stuff. And it really, it kept me from going further in a lot of different ways. At the time, I was living in Nashville, and so I would look on sites like FetLife to try to see where I could find, you know, a mentor or some sort of guidance. And I was only running across white doms who had, like, the Confederate flag on their belt, and they would use the Confederate flag belt buckle as their impact toy. The Black women that I was finding, they were... (sighs) They were into uh, race play in a particular kind of way that made me feel very uncomfortable. They were breeders. They were allowing themselves to be called nigger and being called mammies and things like that. And that was just not, I did not want to be a part of that. And so I found it very difficult at first to find 
a safe place. And a lot of people don't think there are such things as safe places in kink, but there absolutely are, of course. And you had a tweet in March where you said, there are many aspects of BDSM that will trigger Black people. The terms master and slave, white people using whips, etc. I wish more people would actually talk about it because they claim to be inclusive. And that really stood out to me because sometimes when you say, I don't want to use whips, you know, I don't want to be chained up. Some people are very resistant to that because they think you're supposed to be over all of that, that kink goes beyond race and it clearly doesn't. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I feel like a lot of Black kinky folks would really benefit from exploring their own sexual fetishes, kinks, pleasures, etc. But a lot of these spaces scare Black folks away. I mean, it's just, it is what it is, you know? Especially, like, if you don't live in a big city where there's, like, diversity. Like, if you live somewhere, I mean, some of the stories I've heard are just out of this world. But, like, yeah, I don't know why people think that, like, once you get into BDSM and specifically when you're a dominant, like, oh, well, you know, now we're all equal and... (laughs) If she can be dominant and feel powerful, then I guess racism is over. And it's like, woo, child, (laughs) that's not how all this works. So one of the things that I had to like fine tune and one of the things I noticed um, in my own journey is that I would encounter like kind of what you said, because I also read the article that you wrote about your experiences. And it just made me think about my journey with navigating the sea of white submissives, right? That always want to reach out. They want to submit. But then I noticed that those power dynamics were always at play. So just because these white submissives may want to submit to me, it doesn't change that they have more privilege over me. And the same can be said with men. I mean, just because they want to submit to a woman, it doesn't mean that they still don't have privilege everywhere else as a man. So this this is going to show up in your play if you're not like having conversations about this and really gauging like how does this person think like you know like as a black person do they actually see me as a person or do they see me as someone that's there to entertain them so they may be like yeah you're my dom but the truth is they want to assert their dominance on you and just call it submission and it's conflicting. So, I mean, when you're a Black dominant in particular, I always find that, like, you're going to get so many people that's interested in you dominating them. But, like, are they there because they genuinely want you to dominate them? Do they actually respect you? Do they see you as an authority figure? Or do they just see you as someone that's there to entertain them, pleasure them, make them feel good, um, make the fantasies come to life, you know? So it's really important, especially for like Black kinky people or people that want to explore this lifestyle, even as a person of color, you need to have boundaries and you need to know your own power before stepping into these dynamics because they'll just repeat the same power dynamics in the world that hurt us in the past and still hurt us today. Right. That's very true. There's something else that I would notice when white men would reach out to me and they would offer themselves to me. Something that they often would ask for is for me to 
dress them in women's clothing um, and watch them parade around. And they would tell me they wanted to, quote unquote, sissy walk for me and things like that. And I was just like, that's fine, but that doesn't do anything for me. So maybe you need to find someone else. And I, when they would push me, I would say, well, why is it that you think being a woman or pretending to be a woman is the lowest thing that you can be when you are trying to have me, a woman, parade over you. You are trying to be in service to me. I'm very powerful, right? But now you're telling me that being a woman is the lowest thing that you could be. Why is that? And I would often push back on that. And maybe I was a little too, um, <laughs> that was a little too deep for them because they would often just kind of like disappear after that. But maybe hopefully they thought about it a little bit more. And you have another post on your Instagram where you say, to whom it may concern, you do not need to mirror toxic masculinity to be dominant. You do not need to mirror toxic masculinity to be powerful. This statement that you made made me think of that in the ways that people don't necessarily want to be powerful. They just want to do what terrible men are doing in these spaces for kink. So how do you, how would you recommend people deprogram themselves from toxic masculinity in a scene? Well, I think this goes back to uh, one of the first points I was trying to drive home, which is like people really need to be aware of how a lot of people just want to bring existing harmful power structures into play dynamics, like into scenes, into sessions. So I think when we're talking about masculine, feminine energy, right? Toxic kind of masculine energy. The reason I said don't mirror toxic masculine energy to find dominance is because that seems to be one of the main ways that people try to channel dominance because it's the only legit power they see in the world that they actually respect, that they actually realistically deep in their hearts actually respect. I mean, in the United States, we've never had a woman that's president, right? And if we think about like what that actually means, right? It's like, we, we don't think women are capable of leading. And even the women that have gotten close to like leading this country or ran for office, they had to present as extremely masculine in order to get there. I can't imagine a super high femme person getting that far. And that's just my personal experience. But going back to like that statement, mirroring toxic masculinity, I think that's the only real authority that people recognize as power. So with me, I mean, I don't want that. <laughs> I, I never wanted that. I find it so boring and a lot of the hyper-masculine alpha guys that are acting so tough all the time, when they get behind closed doors, you will be surprised. They are some of the, excuse my French, but they're some of the biggest bitches I've ever met in my life. <laughs> the things that they want, the things that they ask for, the kind of sex they want, that's not typically seen as hyper-masculine or hyper-alpha. It's just a, it's a facade, you know? And it's kind of like, that's kind of how patriarchy robs everybody the opportunity to have a full liberated sex life. It's not just women that like lose with patriarchy, right? Men do too. And this is what I want people to understand. Even within patriarchy, right? Like gay men lose power. Like as soon as they come out the closet, like a man that dresses you know, feminine or has like feminine gestures is seen as not as manly. 
a man that wants to be fucked in the ass, for example, is seen as not as manly. So they're less likely to actually freely explore these sides of themselves, explore these kinks, explore these fetishes. And they rob themselves the opportunity to really have great sex lives. They're so worried about what would make me less of a man. If I like this, I'm less of a man. If I like this, I'm less of a man. I don't see that as liberated. I see that as like really confined and kind of, it's a sad almost. So with my dominance, I am feminine and I don't need to ever scream or insult to make sure my house is clean or my every need is met by my submissives. I don't need to channel any parts of white supremacy, patriarchy. I don't need to mimic it. I don't need to mirror it. All of that exists outside of my relationships. It's going to be in this world for a while. It's been in this world for a while and it's not something I need to take on. So I had to reimagine what dominance even looked like. Mm. (laughs) That's how deep it is. I mean, once you get really deep in this, that's how deep it is. I had to reimagine what all of this looks like because I don't want to perpetuate that kind of power structure in my, even my marriage, for example. I just didn't want to do it. What are some of the transferable skills that you've acquired as a dom? Like, how has it helped you in other areas of your life? I think the most important one was being able to set boundaries with everybody. So even when I work, so I work primarily in nightlife. And in nightlife, a lot of times women don't really get the chance to say no as much as they want to. And so when I'm walking into an establishment to work with them or to host an event, I'm creating boundaries even within my contracts. This is what I don't want to happen when I'm having a show here. This is how much I want to make. This is the percentage of the bar that I want to take. So I was able to like set boundaries everywhere that I went. If I go to the grocery store and somebody walks up to me and asks me to touch my hair, I don't feel in the moment like I don't know what to say. But I'm also not getting angry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not getting angry because that's the kind of stuff that privileged folks do. They just walk up to you and think they have agency to your body. And because now I get to set my own boundaries and I get to dictate what touch and pleasure and, you know, what my limits are. If someone walks up to me and says, hey, can I touch your hair? I just look at them and say, no, have a good day. And I walk away. But I'm not angry about it anymore. I used to get extremely angry about it. I'm not angry about it anymore because I just recognize it as like, they don't understand my experience and they never will. (laughs) I can't get super, I can't get too mad at this anymore. And that's power. The fact that that person can't come into my world and ever change how I feel, right? Like if I want to have a good day that day, there's nothing that any person in a position of privilege can say or do to me that's going to take me out of that headspace. That's power. So, I mean, what has like being a dom really taught me about life? Power is whatever I want it to be. That's the kind of stuff that they don't want us to have. But I would love for us to channel that more. I love that power is whatever I want it to be. What is it about being a dom that feels so good to you that you keep doing it, that you keep it a part of your life in so many different ways? One of the things that feels really good is being able to live a very relaxed life 
without worrying about bills, without worrying about cleaning, cooking, (laughs) running my own bathwater, putting lotion on my own body, plugging in my own phone for it to charge. I really am just enjoying this very laid back kind of lifestyle where I don't have to really do much except exist and breathe. That for me is like, number one, I just want to be spoiled and I want to be relaxed and happy at all times. It puts me in a good headspace. It puts me in a good emotional space. And that's one of the things that keeps me really going in this lifestyle. The other thing I enjoy about being a dominant is really learning so much about my submissives. I've formed such good relationships with them to the point where it's like, we're kind of like best friends. They know everything about me. I know everything about them. We talk to each other. I went to one of my submissives wedding recently, and that was pretty cool. So I also built a relationship with his wife, which was interesting. <laughs> it, was, it was confusing at first, but it, it turned out to be pretty cool. And it was pretty interesting. We all have a really good relationship and just, you know, seeing them as people and just kind of learning a lot about submission as a dominant from submissives and kind of knowing all these parts of them that like the world doesn't get to see. So I get to see a six foot six man get on his knees and have a really intense scene with me and maybe cry afterwards because he feels vulnerable or he feels maybe he's just having a sub drop that day or he's in a, a certain headspace where he feels so powerless and into what we're doing and the world doesn't see that part of him they just see a six foot six (laughs) guy with a bunch of muscles that play sports you know and i really i really really like that man i um i almost envy you (laughs) because for me i felt like i i don't know i had a, a poor sense of establishing boundaries and so i was like maybe i should step away and i also recognized myself more as a switch as opposed to wanting to be uh, dominant all the time. And it was uh, a little difficult for me to find people who understood that I was more than just one thing at any one time. So I kind of stepped away from doing more research and trying to be a better dom and just kind of found a new way to be, which suits me a little better, I think. But the idea of being spoiled, that's that's what I love. That's what I really enjoyed during my time uh, trying to figure out that part of my life. Um, what would you say to someone who is interested in learning more about being a dominant, but is still kind of concerned about shame and hiding themselves? You're always going to find shame. I mean, if you're a woman, especially if you are basically anyone that's not a cis man, you're going to run into like people trying to shame you when you are kind of stepping into your own power, figuring out what you like and what your pleasures are. Because the truth is, if you're not a cis man, you're not really socialized to enjoy sex, pleasure, any of these things, especially not from being the person that's kind of dictating these scenarios. So like, if you're interested in learning more, I say find dominance. I mean, we're all out there, you know, find dominance to a, kind of found their own way, follow them, support their work, take classes, 
from doms that you want to learn from dames and kind of work on building your own self up you know saying no is not terrible Mm -hmm. (laughs) learning how to say no is not terrible figuring out what you like and being honest about it there's dominance in that right i just say like we only live once like eventually we're all gonna die so like just live your best life and don't worry about what anyone else has to say People have a problem literally nowadays with everything. They don't like submissive women because they think submissive women are setting back feminism. They don't like dominant women because they feel like dominant women hate men. They don't like switch women because they feel like switch women can't make up their minds. They don't like submissive men because they feel like it's dumbing down manhood. They don't like dominant men because they think they're abusive. Everybody has a problem with everything. So you might as well just live your best life. (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) that's beautiful (laughs) thank you so much for joining me today where can we find you online i am online as venus cuffs at venus cuffs on instagram twitter even clubhouse listening to these messy rooms (laughs) yeah you just find me under there and thank you for having me i really uh i like this conversation and i thank you for having me on here And now it's time for the indulgences, those small things that you can enjoy without any type of guilt. Let's talk about weird smells. I know you like the smell of gasoline. Admit it. It's okay. Do you prolong turning on your heat in the winter, not necessarily to save money on your utility bills, but because you want to make sure as much dust as possible collects in the vents so that when you finally do click heat, you get that nice, dirty, burning smell that reminds you of winter holidays and maybe your grandparents' house. Um, This may also be a fire hazard, so be careful, please. Olfactophilia is the sexual arousal caused by body odors. I think this is the whole purpose of musk. We often swoon over the smell of someone freshly showered, but when it's a person you're attracted to, even their funk is a heady experience. I know I really like the smell of a man, like when he comes in from working on his car or he's been out in the garden doing shit or like mowing grass or... If he's like coming back from playing basketball or tennis and he's kind of sweaty and stinky and it's like, oh, can I smell your armpit? I like that. (laughs) Eproctophilia is arousal by flatulence. (laughs) I don't want to laugh, but it's just like flatulence is a funny word in and of itself. The author James Joyce once wrote his wife, Nora, a love letter that included a significant dedication to her farts. You are not alone. Now, there's a difference between keeping your desires private because that's your business, word to Tabitha Brown, and keeping them private out of shame. Do not be ashamed of what you like. My favorite weird smell, menthol rub, as in Vicks Vapor Rub. I have little inhaler tubes always within reach. I don't really have bad sinuses anymore, but I do have allergies, so sometimes I really do need assistance with clearing my nasal passages. But most of the time, I use the inhaler because it smells good. It perks me up, it kind of clears the fog in my brain, and I've heard 
that if you enjoy jazz cigarettes in places where they are legal, of course, if you do a nice sniff of some Vicks or menthol right after a toke, it really enhances the experience. That's what I've heard. Anyway, I have my little inhaler tubes and I get them from anywhere there's a sinus and allergy section of a store. There are probably some smells you enjoy that you should be careful with, like bleach or any other kind of cleaning product, so make sure you're not harming yourself or anyone else with your sniffing. I have a cloth fan that my good friend Cynthia gave me, and sometimes I go old school, like historical, and spray or rub one of my favorite scents on it, especially during the summers on subways, so that when I'm fanning myself, I get a delightfully scented breeze. Like, I'm really, like, Southern, if you didn't know. Now, I don't use menthol on my fan or anything like that, but usually it's like a nice citrus-based scent or something bright and clean, so I don't offend anybody who happens to catch a smell. Plus, the menthol smell, that's just for me. So look, treat yourself to your favorite weird or unconventional scent. There's no shame here. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?